that's still going. Could I borrow the bell? Good evening, everyone. It's nice to be here with you. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot that's been uh, stirred around in me in a good way over the last few days, practicing with a number of you and many others in the retreat. Uh, uh, that time together is, is very nourishing. Any time I find that I can spend together with, a, with other people practicing, practicing and training in this, uh, this way of living uh, with mindfulness, with understanding, with compassion, it's always nourishing. <laughs> always nourishing. Mm. I would like to begin by offering a chant. And so I invite you to please just rest here for a little bit and receive this. It's uh, something you can breathe with and allow to just come into the space that, that you're in, to move through. The words of the chant are an invocation of the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara. And Avalokiteshvara is the Bodhisattva of great compassion, of deep listening. One who knows how to be present in order to understand and and offer love. Can receive and hear, listen deeply to what's there. And uh, each of us has the seeds of the bodhisattva in us. This is not an invocation of some being out there somewhere, right? Uh, It's a traditional chant. It's in English. And uh, the words come out of the tradition in Vietnamese Buddhism. but that's not where we're going with it. Right? And that's why I invite you to just rest here and breathe so that the meaning in the words can shape itself in your listening, in your being there. And the little seed of the bodhisattva of great compassion can awaken in you. From the depths of understanding, a flower of great eloquence blooms. The Bodhisattva stands majestically upon the waves of birth and death, free from all afflictions. Her great compassion eliminates all sickness, even that once thought of as Her wondrous light sweeps away all obstacles and dangers. The willow branch once waved reveals countless Buddha lands. Her lotus flower Blossoms a multitude of practice centers. 
we bow to her to see her true presence in the here and now. We offer her the incense of our hearts. May the Bodhisattva of deep listening embrace us all with great compassion. Namo Valokiteshvara So, dear friends, there is a thought, a theme, a thought, a guiding thought inside this sharing tonight. can be expressed responding to suffering, responding to conflict or disparity with uh, kindness and clarity. And uh, for me, the most important thing in a practice of doing that, right, of wanting to respond to a difficult situation with kindness, with clarity, the most important thing for me is to transcend the uh, appearance of a separation between what is outside and what is inside. Usually, uh, when we suffer, we want to point a finger at the thing or the person or the situation which caused us to suffer outside. And then we are here on the inside, suffering. But through the practice of mindfulness, uh, this doesn't work for me <laughs> to, to, to try to meet situations like that, to have a sense of uh, separation between what I see outside of me and what I see inside, or even to see the, the difference between how I feel inside and then the activity that I myself am going through in my daily life. Sometimes we go through our lives and there is conflict and there's disparity right inside of us because we are here going through these motions of our daily life with our body, but inside we feel there's nothing, no meaning, no connection there, right? We are not fulfilled in the way we are living our life. So right inside of us, there's already this separation there of uh, between something we perceive as real out there and what we experience as closer to us inside, as different, apart. Right? And the first thing that I am drawn to do is to, is to transcend that difference. 
to, to begin to realize that inner and outer are not separate. And it's not very hard to do. <laughs> it's not very hard to do. Because it's usually in our reactivity that we separate ourselves out from that situation, in our frustration, in our anger, in our sadness, in our hurt and pain. And it's not pleasant to feel those things. So we would like to remove ourselves from the situation we believe to be causing us the suffering. Mm-hmm. Or make it go away so we can stay there. <laughs> right? Mm. But it's not very hard to do to begin to bring these, these things that appear to be separate closer together. begins for me with the practice of returning to myself. So actually paying attention to what's going on inside a little more closely. And if I'm able to do that well, I discover that what appears to be outside of me is actually much closer than I thought. So when you have a practice like what we did for 10 or so minutes, it seemed like it was a little longer than 10 minutes, <laughs> at the beginning of our evening tonight, uh, when we, had, we have a practice like that, we are uh, following a, a basic instruction that was nicely presented to be aware of our breathing and things will happen. But the most important thing for us to do is to be gentle and kind with whatever happens. It's a beautiful instruction. And it asks us to be present here, in ourselves, with ourselves. That's what the breath does. It's that doorway, that gateway for us to come through with awareness. Our breath is happening right here, right now. We breathe in and out and we become aware of our breathing in and out and suddenly we're, our mind, our awareness is right here in this space too. We are integrating, we're coming home. That's what we call the practice of coming home. Coming home to ourselves. But we don't just come home with like a clean, cold, sterile awareness. We come home already with the energy of kindness. That's inside our presence already. And that energy opens up possibilities. And the moment we do that, we begin to enter into a relationship more fully with ourselves inside. And when we'll see that the situation of suffering around us that appears to be conflict, appears to be painful and such here, happening in this space out here, is actually felt, experienced right in the very center of us. And we have a tremendous power to take care of that space inside. If we keep our attention turned outwards, we, we don't see right, that what we call the seed of suffering inside of us, which has been touched by these events around us, by these relationships, by these situations in the world. Right? Those seeds of suffering have been touched in us. We don't see that because we're looking out. When we practice to come home, we immediately become aware of that space inside. For me, often, I would characterize that space inside as hurt. Right? That hurts. <laughs> So inside this situation of suffering, which appears to be in relationships I have with people, in my work, in the world, there are seeds of suffering right here. And if I return, I have the opportunity to take care of them. I have yet to experience that someone else can take care of the seed of suffering in me. I, I can experience that someone prompts me to take care of the seed of suffering in myself, <laughs> right? Or supports me to do that. But I have yet to experience that someone can actually reach in there and take care of that seed of suffering in me. 
right? That's a very, very advanced practice, uh, I suppose, <laughs> right? To be able to present yourself in a very spiritual sense to someone else's heart, right? But I have yet, that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about coming home and taking care of ourselves. So as you breathe in and out and you return to your body, more than your body appears. All these sensations, all these emotions, all these stories and thoughts inside of you, they're all there in a swirl. And if we're upset, if we're angry, sad, if we're in despair, that, that space is, is uh, turbulent. It's hard to know what's going on there. And so we need more time to calm. To, to settle things down. But it's that kindness in our awareness which opens the door for that settling to take place. How wonderful it is for uh, a child that is confused, upset, scared, frightened, to be taken up in the arms of someone and comforted with genuine presence and care and kindness. Right? And that's exactly the practice that we undertake in coming home to ourselves. You know, breathing in and out to make ourselves more present is that practice. Right? And each moment we do that, that calming, that settling can happen. Right? That place inside needs to be settled and clear. Clarity, right? <laughs> needs to be clear in order for us to understand what might be the best way for us to move forward in this moment. As long as that's turbulent, we don't know. We don't know. Um, I mentioned, I think, in uh, the talk uh, uh, last week uh, at the church, uh, a, a teaching called the simile of the cloth. I want to repeat it again tonight. This teaching called the simile of the cloth is one of the Buddha's discourses in the Majjhima Nikaya, uh, the middle-length uh, discourses. And uh, I think it's number seven. And in that teaching is an illustration which shows us the importance of taking care of this space, bringing calm and clarity to this space inside of us. And it goes like this. Suppose there was a dyer, someone who dyes cloth, colors, right? A dyer had a piece of cloth which was stained and dirty and takes that cloth and dips it in a dye, whether it's red, blue, yellow, or pink, it will look poorly dyed and impure in color. Why is that? Because it was stained and dirty to begin with. So too with us and with our mind. If there's this turbulence and pain and suffering inside, if it's an unwholesome place that we are in, the Buddha said, an unhappy destination can be expected. Right? And then he flips it inside out. Well, suppose there was a dyer with a piece of cloth that were clean and bright and dipped it in some dye, blue, yellow, red, pink. It will look well dyed and pure in color. Why? because it was clean and bright to begin with. So too with the mind, right? The space inside of us, if it's full of a clear, calm, wholesome energy and understanding is there, right? A happy destination can be expected. This illustration for me is something I remember, I go to almost every day to remind myself, right? of how important it is that I come from that place of calm and clarity, how, it, how important it is that I am bringing that kindness into my awareness so that whew, things can settle down and I can see clearly what's going on inside of me. Because what this teaching says is that if I come from turbulence and suffering inside, I produce more of that through my actions. And so if we want to respond to situations of conflict and disparity with the hope of changing that, of bringing something wholesome and good to that situation, we can't come from a place of turbulence and suffering and pain inside of us. 
we have to have that kindness and that clarity inside right, to generate right, the appropriate action that will transform the situation. <clears throat> My way of thinking about it is like this. An apple tree grows apples. <laughs> it doesn't grow oranges. Right? Apple trees don't grow oranges. They grow apples. Right? <laughs> it was a, the, the tree, the plant of suffering in me will grow suffering. If I water the seeds of suffering in me, if I express those seeds of suffering in the world, and if I come at you with a whole lot of uh, anger and frustration, it's, it's not very easy <laughs> to maintain your, 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 uh, your composure, your peace, your well-being. You'll feel attacked. You'll need to be defensive. It creates more tension and suffering. Right? But if I come from a place of patience, and respect, a place of calm and kindness. Right? If I'm attempting to be present in such a way that I can find understanding, it, it's easy to receive, and it waters those seeds in you. Right? It's a very simple principle. Right? And yet, <laughs> in our daily lives, we're continually whoa, lost and moved and carried away by emotions and by the seeds of suffering that are inside of us. Mm. There's a teaching uh, similar to this, bringing, bringing our awareness to the importance of learning to take care of, to transcend inner and outer, and, and bring awareness to the importance of the space inside. right? And it is like this. There are, there are three levels or three realms of action. Right? So it's a realm of action that, of course, we would all agree upon because we live in a society that really loves that, which is the physical space, materialistic space, the space where we figure things out with our bodies and our built environment and all these constructs out here in this embodied world. And that is a realm of action. And then there's another realm of action, which is the space of communication. In Buddhism, they call this right speech or speech. But it's not just speaking. It's communication. It's the way we interact with each other, the way we share a sense of meaning and purpose or not. Right? But that space of speaking and listening, of communicating, is another realm of action. It's got a... a, a, a operates on sort of a different plane within us. But it's very important, too. Right? Not just what we manifest with our hands and get written down and signed in contracts. Right? That's not the only thing that's important. Our words expressed with each other in our lived relationships, the, the connection we establish in our communication with each other is hugely important. But there's a third layer, too. And that's our thinking. It's this inner life. We shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that, <laughs> thinking that this space of our thoughts, what goes on in our head is just going on in our head and nowhere else. Right? We'd like to think that we have a private life there. Right? <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? It's nothing to do with the world. Right? So these thoughts inside, they, they don't carry out. But the reality is, that this inner part of our life, this inner experience, the place where we are forming our intentions and thoughts, is a realm of action. Right? It's from that place where we form our thoughts and intentions, where our understanding is shaped right, inside, that our words and our way of listening come from, that our actions in the world come from. Right? It's out of that inner space that we live into the world, inside outside are not really different. Right? Mm. So these kinds of teachings about three realms of action, the simile of the cloth, they, they remind me again and again how important it is that if I want to meet the world in a beautiful and a good way, I really need to take care of all these layers of my being. Mm. So calming practice is essential, finding ways to bring into our life 
moments of calm and ease, moments of nourishment. Mm. We often talk about, you know, making sure you have time where uh, joy is possible, right? where relaxation and releasing stress is possible. Uh, you know, the, the, the term stress is cumulative. Right? This is very real. It should be taken quite seriously. When you go through your day and there have been some stressful events, if you don't practice to release that, it doesn't go away. Right? Tomorrow's stress accumulates on top of that and so on and so on and you walk up the ladder of stress until you crack right? or fall. Right? But you've walked up. You picked it up, you can put it down. You've made that step up, you can step back down. And we have practices. We all know many of these practices for breathing, for calming. Find ways to bring into little moments of walking here and there, of being with friends, of drinking tea, of sitting, of yoga, of whatever you're going to do, right? That allows you to let go of the busyness and the stress that's accumulated through this busy life that we strive to live in as modern human beings. Get closer to our nature, our nature which is like nature, right? Seemingly outside of us, the natural world now, right? We've built up a society which appears to be separate from the natural world. But is that really true? Right? Transcend that space inside and outside so that the natural world is our nature. That to me means that I need to be in touch with the rhythm and the pace of things, which is really at the core of my being, which is so beautifully expressed in what we say is the natural world out there. But it's trying to express itself in me too. I am of that same world. Right? And so I want to come home to myself and give myself the time, organize my life in such a way. Right? Not that I just get nourished by nature, but that I am a part of that rhythm, of that cycle, which is playing itself out in our world. Right? So, please, you know, I just use this opportunity. <laughs> I'm not perfect in it, <laughs> but to say, let's do this, right? Let's work to reshape the way that we live our lives in our society so that we have time to slow down and to connect and not, not get lost and not be swirled around so much every single day. Protect ourselves from that agitation, which we have built as a human people, right? We have built this agitation. Let's protect ourselves a little from it, step back from it, and develop other ways of being together, which allow us to touch that, that part of us which is so much closer to our core and bring what appears to be so far out there and beautiful right inside. I mean, all of us know, I assume this, because I'm out here in Montana, that everyone here loves to go out on a walk in the hills <laughs> and, and take in the nourishment of the world around you, this, these beautiful mountains and forests and rivers. And, right? It's profound, and the wide spaces I live in a place where we don't have that experience of wide openness. We have forests and small hills with deep valleys and right these wide spaces. This is an incredibly powerful landscape, right? And we love to go out in it and find it out there. Why? Why is it out there? Right? Why do we spend most of our time not in that space? You know how good it feels to go out there. Why is that a special moment, right? We've organized this. We have chosen these ways of living. So that's, that's my, my orientation in my world right now, is that I'm facing that question. Mainstream society, even progressive alternative parts of mainstream society, <laughs> right, has been going down a path which has brought us where? Here. And we know there's a lot of conflict and disparity. There's a lot of suffering in this way of living. Right? So if we keep going down that path, where are we going to end up? Right? Remember those teachings. <laughs> where is it coming from? It's going to produce more of itself. We have to change course a little bit. 
we have to build into our lives something new. In this way, it's, it's both an issue for the collective and an issue for us, ourselves, right? Inside and outside are not different in this sense. Right? <clears throat> so I want to come back to the bodhisattva. And not just bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara, but bodhisattvas in general. Bodhisattva is a word which means, bodhi means awakening or awakened, and sattva is being, right? So a being that is awakening or awakened, right? So an awakened or an awakening being, what does that mean? Often the bodhisattva is described as, excuse me, someone someone who has crossed over to the other shore. That is the shore of awakening. So that means it must have been on an unawakened shore, right, to start with. (laughs) It's crossed over from the shore of suffering and delusion over to the shore of happiness and awakening. And arriving there, says, "Uh, I'll I'll go back. Uh, I'll I'll go back because I I understand something. I'm going to go back and be present with the world. That, uh, that is still lost in confusion and suffering. I will not just have this awakening for myself. It's an interesting description. For me, what's a, one of the important parts of it is, is that first part, though. I have crossed over the shore. I've crossed over from the shore of suffering to the shore of happiness, from the shore of delusion to the shore of awakening. There is an undertaking there. And I don't think it's important that you arrive necessarily at a particular destination, but that you undertake that journey of turning in the direction of awakening. That's inside this idea of the bodhisattva. The interesting thing is also that if you really dive into what this means, there isn't actually an ocean to cross. (laughs) That shore of delusion is also the same shore, right? The same place, the awakening. And so the bodhisattva doesn't have to really go anywhere else to awaken. We can awaken right here. We have all that we need, all that suffering outside that needs to be transformed. It's that's right here inside. It needs to be transformed. We, that's, we don't have to go anywhere on our path of awakening. And we don't have to return somewhere else to like that ordinary world where other people are <laughs> who haven't awakened yet. Right? And it's like, yeah, see these ideas, they're expressed in these images of going places and such, but really it's all right here. It's all right here in this moment of our life. So that what really makes the bodhisattva is that undertaking, right? To meet that moment with fullness, with all the capacities we have to be awake. Right? Mm. There are three bodhisattvas we talk a lot about there are many, 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 many bodhisattvas. And, and uh, there are three that have been sort of shaped and formed very well. And one of them is Avalokiteshvara, who I talked about before. Another one is Samantabhadra. And Samantabhadra is the bodhis- bodhisattva of great action, right? Uh, universal goodness. Samantabhadra, great action. And then the, the other one is the bodhisattva Manjushri. And Manjushri is great understanding, a bodhisattva of wisdom, right? of right view. Right? And these three, it's very interesting to notice that these three also correspond to the three actions. Right? Right? Manjushri with our, our way of thinking and seeing things, this part of our life. Avalokiteshvara, the space of great compassion and communication, connection and love with others. Right? listening deeply, right? And Samantabhadra, action embodied out in the world. You see these bodhisattvas. These are inspirations for us to take onto all these dimensions, levels of our being. So the way that we live into the world, the way we, we shape our lives in terms of consumption, what we consume, the kind of livelihood we undertake, 
and the activities that we manifest in the world, if we do them with awakening, with full presence, we are on the path that Bodhisattva Samantabhadra undertook, right, or undertakes. Or maybe we are becoming a part of Bodhisattva Samantabhadra. And when we enter into a space of really uh, consciously and carefully holding relationships with other people and communication, right, listening deeply, developing truthful and loving speech, and healing in that space, we are, we are in the realm of Avalokiteshvara, that heart space. And when we go deep into our intentions and thoughts and find the, the core of our understanding and build up beauty and truth and transcendent wisdom in our way of seeing ourselves in the world, we are doing the work of Manjushri, the Bodhisattva of great understanding. When I come home to myself, when I really come home, and I feel myself in my body with Samantabhadra, I feel myself in my heart, open and calming and clear and embracing with Avalokiteshvara, right? When I bring myself in to find that clarity and that right view with Manjushri, I really come home to myself like that, calming my body, calming my feelings, calming my, my thinking down in order to touch stillness, there's a kind of experience which emerges in that space, um, which informs all levels of activity. And that experience is one where I, I very much belong to the world. And I don't know if you experience this too when you really calm yourselves down and center yourself. But I really feel at home when I'm like that. I feel like I'm... That's it. I feel like I'm at home. My need to go somewhere else, right, isn't there. It's like my attention and my presence and my kindness brought to these layers of my being softens the rushing, needy energy in me, the, the dissatisfied, uncomfortable energy in me. I, I'm getting fed by that practice, and I feel at home. And when I feel at home, I feel at ease. I feel connected so easily. And what I've discovered is that by coming home to myself in that way, I get to really come home to, to life and to the world. It's kind of a, an irony. It's a, it's a strange alignment of things. Being most with me opens the possibility of being closest to you. Again, transcending this inner and outer. I don't have any of my busy thoughts and my worries and my stress to be like, like a veil between me and you, right? I, I can easily be present with, understand, connect. I'm at home in the world. It's in that space we dis discover that the suffering we have inside and the suffering that's around us in the world are not separate. There's an interbeing there. That the happiness in people around us and the happiness in our own hearts are not two different things. There's an interbeing there. That's the kind of experience which emerges in me through the practice. And that informs activity. It informs your thinking. It informs your way of communicating. It informs your, your, uh, your action. And the reason why I, I'm qualifying that as different from thinking because we can think about connection, <laughs> interconnection a whole lot. We can think about interdependence and interbeing on a conceptual level. But I'm, I'm consciously saying this is an experience of being at home and well and at ease without need, without craving, without longing, without loss, right? in a moment and able to connect with life. And, and, and that shapes, then, my thoughts. Right? And these thoughts reach out into the world. You can do powerful things from that place, very powerful things. 
It can bring all kinds of kindness and clarity, all kinds of healing into your, your own being and understanding who you are and what's going on there to your relationships with other people. There was a powerful example of this for me with um, the, uh, the climate talks that took place in France a, while, a little while back with the woman Christiana Fugueres. She was the UN Framework Convention coordinator or, uh, for the climate change talks there. And she put together this conference, basically, of all these nations. She was right in the middle of it. And uh, it was the biggest headache you could possibly imagine organizationally. I mean, think about all these nations and delegations and everybody's agenda and all that. I mean, just, just the logistics of getting everybody in the same place. But then you're not talking about just, just people. You're talking about these, all these world leaders who have their entourage of security and la-di-da and press and all this. This is the, the biggest organizational headache that could possibly be there. And she was so stressed out. <laughs> and she was really overwhelmed each day by the amount of organizational stuff that was going on. And she said she kept a book about interbeing by Thich Nhat Hanh by her bedside. And every time that she had an opportunity, she would touch in with this teaching. It was this practice of coming back to herself and getting in touch with this place inside where I know I belong, where I know that I am of you and you are of me, where our suffering and our happiness inter are at that level. Her allowing interbeing to live in her, she said it fed her every day, and that was what allowed her to get through that and pull off that convention. Right? Now, I'm not talking about the details of the, <laughs> the agreements. <laughs> That's another story, and all those sorts of things and what that means. But just to, 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 to see how the practice could support someone to bring so much energy and clarity Right? To allow a process of, of, of uh, communication among so many diverse, disparate parts. People to come together and to, to shape something together. So much stress, and yet it carried her through that. Mm. Mm. The five mindfulness trainings, for those of you who know this practice. If you don't, please ask one of the folks here at Open Way be here now about it. But the five mindfulness trainings are another kind of a, an expression of the beauty and the power of this practice. And they're formed as a way to support us in our daily lives, reflect to us in and out of activities in our daily lives how it is that we can practice to come home, inspire us to come home, and come from that place of beauty inside. They're not just like this little thing you learn about and read and think, oh, that's neat and that's nice. You study them, you work them into your consciousness so that you, know, you use your body, you use your, your heart and your thinking to, to bring these things in, and then they come back. They come back to you through that deep understanding which emerges through the practice, and they feed you. Mm. When I, uh, I was teaching at uh, Hampshire College in western Massachusetts, helping with a course there a couple of years ago, and... Um, the, what I was bringing was uh, an examination of how the five mindfulness trainings are a kind of a, a pathway for social and environmental change. Right? These, are, these are a very beautifully held way of living which leads in that direction. Right? And uh, this is with young adults in their undergrad years. And... and um, I'm just a small component of a, of a course among many courses, among years of their study. Right? We come together and we were looking at these issues. And the first part of the time that we were together uh, was kind of an examination of principles and ideas and understanding where these things came from and all this stuff. And it was really neat. It was really interesting to talk about it with so many different uh, young, inspired hearts and minds. And it also felt a little dry, a little intellectual. And, and we were on that level. And I didn't feel like that's where I wanted to be. 
And so I stopped. I stopped the discussion. I stopped the sharing. And I said, you know, I reflected back. That's where I think we are right now. Academic level, right? Just the ideas, the realm of ideas, trying to make sense out of things. So that's where I think we are right now. I, I'm wondering if we can go to another place. Can I ask you guys some questions? And they were willing to hear that. And, and so I invited another space. I prompted them to get in touch with themselves in that moment and feel what's there. What's going on when you're thinking about these issues? What's going on when you think about the state of the world that you're growing up into? I said things like, do you feel like you're getting handed the short end of a stick? You know, I really wanted to open this and make them, you can say anything here, you know, kind of a feeling like I, I'm okay with you speaking your heart, speaking your mind, even your expressing your, your dissatisfaction or anger. And I prompted that and heads started to bob. People started to shift around. And then the sharing started to come out. Like these beautiful people needed to be able to share the fear and the anxiety, the stress that they felt, the confusion they had. They had to get in touch with that and bring it out to be listened to, to be held, right? And that's our practice. We come home to ourselves, to whatever's there. And we, we begin to be present with that. And we created that in the room in that, that afternoon. We created that in that space. And they were like, yeah, I don't even know. I'm doing this, you know, this is four years of my life. I'm growing up in the world. I'm supposed to do this path, but I don't even know if there's going to be a world on the other end of this. To, you know, there's no security in this. And they were really scared on some level. What is it that I'm moving into? Especially while I study issues like social justice or I study issues like climate change, right? It, it's terrifying. I mean, it's terrifying to anyone to study this stuff. But here you have a young person who's trying to move into a world looking towards that world, and where is my place in that world? And I don't even know if the world's really going to exist like this during my lifetime. Right? That's a lot of anxiety. But after that came out, and after we like, sort of caught that space, our discussion of the five mindfulness trainings as a pathway was completely different, because now we were connected. Now we had dropped out of that intellectual grasping, trying to figure things out level and gotten down right through our hearts, you know, into here we are in this space. And this understanding that's in the trainings in terms of interbeing could really be felt and not just figured out, right? So out of that group, a number of them showed up in Morning Sun, our community, for our summer young adults retreat, our wake-up retreat. We have a wake-up camp out. It's a five-day camp-out retreat for young adults every summer. And they, they showed up. And there's one in particular who I just want to tell you about, this young man named Joseph. And he's an amazing, he's an amazing guy. At the time when we had that course, he was really confused and really suffering. Now he's like this bright light. But for him, to come in touch with the five mindfulness trainings and mindfulness practice in general was a way for him to integrate all these layers of himself and realize that the littlest thing that he does is of importance. The smallest thought and inspiration in his mind is part of the world. And he's chosen to put himself in a place where he's actually, he ended up shaping his, his, um, his uh, major in school as play, right? And he's, he's full of joy. And he is now, through the practice, able to share joy every day and bring joy into the world through play and games and circus arts and things like that. He's, he's just, he's brilliant. And he comes back to Morning Sun every year for some time now. He comes back and he really settles down because he has touched that space. He knows how important it is that he keep himself calm and clear so that he can have that resource to offer something, to offer something to a world that's suffering. And he can offer laughter, and he can offer joy. He can offer fun, right? Mm. It's a beautiful, beautiful person for me to look at. But he, he and the other students 
demonstrated for me this need to really come home, to integrate before action. The understanding needs to come out of that integration, and that deep understanding is shaped in the integration of all these layers of our being, and especially through the understanding of interbeing. So the last thing I wanted to share with you tonight is about meeting some of these huge stories of suffering that are in our world. And when I was, uh, when I think about an issue climate change or a social justice issue, race, or gender, things like that. I see a collective story of suffering, big one. It's massive. Or I, when I think about war and conflict, parts of the world where there has been conflict for generations, and it almost looks impossible, how could these different parties reconcile because they've torn each other apart for so long that's, you know, the, the, the animosity is so deep, right? How could they possibly live close together? You see situations like that, or climate change and the predictions for how much destruction is going to be caused by that, and water and food shortages and mass migrations that will be necessary, right? And the sacrifices that will have to be made. It's a tremendous amount of suffering if you look at it in that scale, right? And we as human beings, I've only been able to look at that picture for a very short time. Think a hundred years ago, right? A human being would not have had all this information to, to try to shape a story that big, right? And now we have access to all this. And we don't have the tools to understand, to make sense out of, to grab that in a healthy way yet, right? It's overwhelming. It paralyzes us, yeah? That compounded with the idea that we, we have to get some kind of measurable result, right, where we don't value the small actions in our daily lives makes a big problem, right? And that's why I emphasize so much this transcending the inside and outside to see that these issues out there in the world, these big issues, these big stories of suffering are not so far away, actually. The seeds of the suffering for war and conflict on the other side of the planet, they live inside each one of us. And they're deeply connected to the choices we make in our daily life, too. Right? The seeds of discrimination, which are active in racial justice issues, right? The seeds of discrimination, or I should say, the, the discrimination which is out in the world that you see out there is actually a seed in each one of us, too. We discriminate in our own minds against ourselves with such violence sometimes, with such, with such harshness and strong judgment. We give that to some of our friends and family, right? We see that that same energy can be found in us. Um, so the social and the global issue out there isn't very far away. And that means that we are all empowered to be a part of it in each moment of our life, right? We don't have to wait until we've been promoted to some position of extreme power in some group or organization or government to make changes. We have the power right now right, to manifest change and transformation. And the reality is, <laughs> this is what I really love, that the world isn't asking us very much. She's only asking us for a little bit at a time, each one of us. There was a moment in my life as a monk when uh, I needed to get to the fifth floor of a hotel. We were traveling. And all the monks and nuns were packing up and getting in the elevators and coming down to get on the buses to go. And I had been outside. And I needed to go in and up. But I kept hitting the button, and the elevator wasn't coming down. And so I went to the stairwell, and I started going up the stairs. But being a little bit in a hurry and being young, and I'd been out for a really nice walk, and I was really high on being out on the 
walking and had a lot of energy. And I started running up the stairs. One step, two step, skipping steps. Up, turn the corner. You know how it is in a hotel, right? Up, up, turn the corner, up, turn the corner, up, turn the corner. I turn the corner and in front of me is Thich Nhat Hanh coming down. <laughs> with his two attendants with him. And I stop, I go, oh, you know, this is my teacher. And I thought, okay. I stopped. I'm out of breath. I step to the side and I allow him to come by. And he's step, step, step. Like, yeah, I, whoa, caught this time. You know, it's like, <laughs> as, it is our practice to walk in mindfulness. And as a monastic, you take that very seriously. And in that moment, I was running up the stairs. And so I was feeling that flush. And he got to the same step as me, and he stopped, and he looked at me, and he said, one step at a time. (laughs) And he kept going, and he kept going. And because of the contrast in that moment, I'd heard him say things like that before, but because of the contrast in that moment, it, it went in, right? Honestly, I still went up the stairs, not super slow, because I was really moving. But that impression was there in me. And I've thought about it many, many times and let it sink into me many times. And in this light, looking at issues of suffering in the world, it has helped me a lot to realize the importance of each little moment because I looked at his life one step at a time. And I lived with him for nine years, seven as a monk. You got that right. (laughs) And traveled around the world in so many situations, and he always walked like that. But he didn't just walk like that. He did everything like that, with that presence and with that kindness, with that, that deep integration so that everything came from that place. And how many books and translations and all this have been printed all over the world by this one person? And how many incredible things have come out of hundreds of thousands of people that have been helped and supported by his practice, his life, his teachings around the world. One man, right? But how did he do that? One step. I'm a witness for that. I know that that's how he did it, one step at a time. And it made me think about other heroes and heroines that I have looked up to in history and in the present moment who do amazing, incredible, big, important works in the world or who have accomplished incredible changes. And when I have looked from this place of practice, I see that they, too, only made one step at a time. They only spoke one sentence. You can't do two (laughs) at a time, right? They only took one breath, and that's all. It's all the world is asking of us. That's all life is asking of us. Yes, my teacher, that is a good step you made. (laughs) Yes, that is a beautiful sentence. That is a wise thought, right? I, I see that. That part is very important. But yet it was just one sentence. It was just one step, one breath. And that brings me home. And that makes me feel really good coming back to that place as I meet challenges as I meet difficulties, realizing that this space inside seems to be separate from the rest of the world, but in truth I know through my practice it's not, right? And my little life in my little corner, my little family, appears to not have an effect on that larger issue. But I can know that as I really live deeply and I bring my full presence and kindness to each step, each activity that I undertake, and I really strive to use my understanding to reshape my life and to share with others that it does have an effect. Right? We, we tend to measure, measure these effects in retrospect. You know, we look back at someone like Thich Nhat Hanh and we say, amazing, he did so much. But if you look at a moment, right, then it's, you realize, oh, that is, a, that is a human being living well and deeply in that moment. And I can do that too. So take heart, right? As you look at the world and you see that suffering around you, it's not so far away. And 
you have power, strength, and capacity through your practice of mindfulness, kindness, understanding, and compassion to change that situation. But you don't have to go out there to change it. You just live it. We just live it. That is the transformation. For that world outside is right here. Thank you. I have no idea what time it is. Oh, my. (laughs) Sorry, Rowan, I did it again.